Well, good morning. Happy Easter to you. Welcome to Emmaus Church community. It's great to see so many of you I haven't seen for a long time. Welcome if you joined us online. We're so glad that you have. Two things to draw your attention to uh, this morning quickly. One, uh, a note, whoops, this is a welcome card. That's funny. If you'd like to fill out a welcome card, that'd be great. We'd love to have your uh, contact information. I actually meant to bring up a notes card in case you'd like to follow along with the sermon. Raise your hand if you like a notes card. Also, there are these brochures around what is Emmaus, if you're new with us today and would like to hear more about just kind of some basics about what, who we are and what we're doing and why we're doing it. This is the super short Cliff Notes version pamphlet form, all right? So you can grab one of those if you like. My name's Nathan. I'm so happy that you're here. Welcome, and um, may this gathering be an encouragement to you and a challenge for all of us to enter into this great story that we've been singing about today. All right, Easter is a celebration of an event, which is the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and a celebration of the significance of that event, which is this paradigm-shifting reality that death has been defeated. Okay, this is the audacious claim that the early Christians make. Jesus died and was buried and then rose again. But not just that, that because of who Jesus was and is, that in rising from the grave, Jesus does something that is unprecedented completely, which is he conquers death. He defeats sin, which is what has separated humanity from God. And then he defeats the ultimate consequence of sin, which is death. You cannot make a more audacious claim than Jesus defeats death. There's no greater victory than the victory over the grave, right? You made, uh, if you've made worshiping the God revealed in the Bible a habit, then you've heard this before, and you've probably proclaimed this, you know, dozens, hundreds, thousands of times, this audacious and paradigm-shifting truth. And that's good, because this truth is reality, but you may not be knocked off your chair by it anymore, right? Because you've kind of gotten used to it, you're, you're, you become familiar with these words. So it may be good to remind ourselves this morning of what it is that we celebrate together. According to the Bible, death was not part of the original plan. But because death is the consequence of separation from the source of life, when humanity, early humanity, turned their back against God, separated themselves from God, then the humanity created instantly and automatically and naturally experiences the consequence of separation from the giver of life, the sustainer of life, which is death. We've got uh, cross-the-street neighbors who have had for years one of those basketball hoops that lives on the sidewalk, those, stand, you know, those standards, and their son's in college now, and so they recently gave the basketball hoop to us because we have an 11-year-old. So the other day, they rolled it across the street, and they set it on the, on the corner of our lawn, and you know, this is one of those big plastic black sand-filled bases that takes about three feet by three feet. It's on the corner of our lawn. The other day, I push it off the lawn onto the sidewalk, and the, the grass is gone. It's just completely dead. Of course it is, right, because it's been separated from the source of life. So death is the result of that, of being separated from the source of life. And because everything dies, eventually we think death is normal. 
But in fact, death is just the result of brokenness that gets introduced to the human story very early on in Genesis 3. And it's so soaked deep into the fabric of our planet and into our own DNA that we just think, well, this is just what happens. People die. We don't like it. Uh, We may resist it. We might even deny it. But we don't actually really expect it to go any other way, do we? Because in the end, death has ultimately been the period at the end of every sentence that we've ever seen lived out. Death has. Since the beginning of humanity, it's always had the last word. It's been birth, life, death. Period. And if since forever ago, the same thing, the same reality, the same experience always has the final word, then that thing, in this case death, it becomes the de facto most powerful thing around. It becomes the most, the most eminent enemy. It becomes the most threatening threat. It, it is the, the ultimate consequence that we cannot seem to get away from. No one escapes death. Nothing defeats death. It's always been birth, life, death, period. But then Jesus is born, and Jesus lives, and Jesus dies, and they bury him in a tomb, and three days later, Jesus rises again. And so now, this paradigm is forever shifted. And now it's birth, life, death, comma, Resurrection. The period that death is, that has always been the end of the sentence, has been erased and replaced with a comma. Death no longer has the final word. The whole paradigm has shifted. The resurrection changes everything. The proclamation of the Bible is not just that Jesus rises from the grave, but that in so doing, Jesus defeats death, the ultimate enemy. And so we feast today. That's what we do. The fast is over. We celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, this graphic and memorable and widely attested demonstration of something that is more powerful than the most powerful thing in the world, which is death. We celebrate that death is defeated, that it's undone, that it's rewound, right, that it's overthrown and overwhelmed. It's revealed to be the disease that it always was, the the perversion of goodness that it always was, the tragic and unfortunate consequence of the foolish notion that anyone or anything could ever live separated from the source of life. At Easter, we celebrate the victory of life over death, of a love so pure and so relentless that it pursues us in our rebellion, overtakes us in our weakness, carries us in wholeness to the glory of the Father Almighty. At Easter, we celebrate the ultimate victory, which is new life, of the ultimate power, which is love. And we stand to our feet at the finish line. We raise our hands. We lift up our voices. We join in the joy of the celebration. And we should. Of course we should. How could we not? We are the beneficiaries of Christ's victory over death. We're the ones that stand to have so much to gain from this. And it is right and it is good for us to cheer the triumph of Christ over sin and the grave. To borrow from the Apostle Paul, his soaring climax to his letter to the Corinthians, where he quotes from the prophet Isaiah who says, death has been swallowed up in victory. Or then he quotes from the prophet Hosea who taunts, where, O death, is your victory? It's kind of like, come on, right? Where, O death, is your sting? 
just taunting this thing which has forever just crushed humanity, been the inescapable consequence of our rebellion, and now we taunt it because it no longer stands at the end of the game, right? It's been defeated. So today, Easter morning, 2021, I want to invite you to celebrate Jesus' triumph over death. And I also want to invite you to celebrate Jesus' triumph over all of death's furies. All of those lesser deaths. All of those minions that come along with death. All the sadnesses and the disappointments and the many deaths that we suffer throughout the days and the weeks of our life. This is a picture of me preaching last Easter. <laughs> and this has become like a, an image, a symbol for me, a representation of some of the sadness and the disappointment and the frustration and the difficulties of the last year. Death is the ultimate enemy, but it's not the only one, is it? Right? Death is the primary antagonist, but there's a whole host of foul characters that come along with his clan. Death is the main bad guy. I picture him like the main bad guy in a movie poster, walking right toward you. But off his shoulders, there's a dozen other foul characters that are just waiting to take their shot at you. Right? He's not by himself. And as challenging as it is for many to actually believe in Easter, to actually get our hearts and our minds around this idea that life, that, that death itself has been defeated by the resurrection, as challenging it is, as that may be, to actually believe that Christ has overcome death, I wonder if it's easier for us to believe that, that he's overcome ultimate final death, than it is for us to believe that he's overcome all of death's lesser furies that we experience day in and day out, like disappointment and discouragement and loneliness. I wonder if the real challenge is to believe that resurrection defeats or is more powerful than the brokenness we face every day. I think many of us will approach our death with some level of assurance that death has been defeated and life exists for us on the other side. I think that many of us can engage in an Easter celebration today with a real sense of assurance that life lies on the other side. It's this side we're not so sure about. It's this side that we have less hope for. Sometimes I wonder if you can relate to this. I am confident in Jesus' resurrection and that it defeats death. It's all the other furies in death's tribe that I'm just not so sure about. Did Christ's resurrection defeat hatred among people? Is the resurrection more powerful than racism? Is Christ's resurrection, did it defeat the insecurities that hinder so many of us? Is resurrection really more powerful than depression? Did Christ's resurrection defeat grief? Did Easter declare that the broken can be made whole in this life? Can resurrection fuel the fight against fear? Can resurrection overwhelm worry 
with peace? Does it have that kind of power? Does it pack that kind of punch? Can resurrection destroy disappointment? Can you overcome disappointment because of here, now? I'm not talking about later. Because of the resurrection. Many of you today probably believe that Jesus' resurrection conquers death, but is our belief in the resurrection something that impacts the way we navigate life here and now today? It's natural for us to focus on the finish line, right, the winning shot, the knockout punch. We cheer at graduations. That's when we cheer. We cheer at moments of triumph. That's when we take pictures. That's when we throw parties, and it's good and right to do that. We can overlook, though, all of the smaller wins that took place to get us to that moment of triumph. We can run past all of the many challenges that we need to face and overcome in order to reach that ultimate place of victory. Of course, we should celebrate Christ's ultimate victory, which is resurrection, over the ultimate enemy, which is death. What I'm inviting us to today, friends, is to celebrate that resurrection wins the ultimate battle and all those other battles as well. Resurrection defeats the ultimate enemy and all of its furies that come along as well. Easter is the climactic scene. It's not the ultimate place of arrival, but it is the scene that changes the game. It is the turning point. It is what makes us believe again and assures us that victory is possible. But in a culture that has almost totally lost the story or the context around that climactic scene, I wonder if the climactic scene is kind of an underwhelming scene for many of us. Like, resurrection is supposed to be the big answer, but is anyone asking the big question? I don't think so, and here's why. Because we're overwhelmed trying to deal with all of the immediate, smaller questions, all of the challenges that just face us throughout the day. These are overwhelming us already. We don't even have time or the luxury in many cases to see the horizon and go, okay, because it's right here. It's all of the disappointments and the pains and, and the problems that surround us throughout the day. This is what we're overwhelmed with. Does resurrection affect how we navigate all of those things? I believe that resurrection speaks to my end-of-life issues. My challenge is to believe that resurrection actually speaks to my Tuesday afternoon issues. Okay? That's where it becomes really challenging for me, to not fall into despair and go, this is just lost, this is irreparable, this is unrecoverable. So in the next few weeks, we're going to get to that question. And in order to get to that question, that Tuesday afternoon question, I'm going to look at the prequel to Easter. The prequel to Easter, what comes before the Easter story, which is the Exodus story. In other words, the death and the resurrection of Jesus is the main event in the New Testament. Everything in the New Testament is looking forward to the death and the resurrection of Jesus, or looking back and reflecting on the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Resurrection of Jesus is the main event. Resurrection of Jesus is the early proclamation of the Christian church. It's the primary proclamation. The early Christians were known as people of the resurrection. This is their trope. This is their claim. This is their audacious witness that they're making to the world. But there's a prequel to the resurrection. And that's the Exodus. Resurrection is the main event of the New Testament. Main event of the Old Testament is the Exodus. The miraculous freeing of the Hebrew people 
from 430 years of slavery to the major world power, which is Egypt. That happens about 1,300 years before Jesus is born. And the mass exodus from slavery in Egypt prefigures the freedom from slavery to death that is accomplished in Christ's resurrection. And more than that, and this is why it's so important, the exodus spells out some of the more subtle or lesser kinds of deaths that make it so difficult to actually live in freedom. So these smaller challenges that we face every day, worry, fear, resentment, relational conflict, they're not actually small. Some of them are very big, and some of them feel super challenging. And what I hope that we can see is how Jesus' resurrection changes the game, not just in regard to death itself, but in regard to all those real-life challenges that we face every day. So let me wrap up by telling you the story of two songs first song is sung as a song of celebration immediately following the exodus. People of Israel, the Hebrew people, are enslaved in Egypt for 430 years. And then God splits the Red Sea. They go through on dry ground. The waters crash down and destroy the pursuing Egyptian army. And the Hebrew people are free. This is their salvation event. This is the defeat of their enemy, which leads to their freedom, and it becomes their defining moment. And as they step into freedom and look back upon what was 10-plus generations of slavery, Moses sings a song. Their leader sings a song. And this is what he sings. This is in Exodus 15, in case you want to see the context. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted, both horse and driver, he is hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God, I will praise him. My Father's God, I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army, he has hurled into the sea. The best of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The deep waters have covered them. They sank to the depths like a stone. Your right hand, Lord, was majestic in power. Your right hand, Lord, shattered the enemy. What is Moses doing? He's celebrating victory over a very real enemy, over a very specific adversary, over actual slavery, over particular oppression, the destruction of instruments of pain and suffering and grief and fear on his people. That's what he's celebrating. Moses and God's people, they were trapped. There's a massive army bearing down on them from one side, and there's this chaotic ocean before them on the other side. This is a place of absolute hopelessness until God opens the ocean, parts the waters, and the people go free, go through, and salvation is provided. And now Moses is giving glory to God. And it's entirely clear. God's done this. God has provided a way. We were without a way until God provided a way. Friends, do you see the profoundly practical nature of this salvation? Do you see this? How profoundly practical this is. Do you see that it has to do with things like social brokenness, like slavery, 
It has to do with economic oppression. That's what they're being freed from. It has to do with racial injustice, one race controlling another race. It has to do with the hollowing out of a people's dignity over 400 plus years, perpetual violence, all this real life here and now kinds of death that has been the reality for the people of Israel for so long, and those are now defeated. Those deaths, they're now gone. Those are the deaths from which they have received freedom. And then Moses continues. He says, who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? And this, friends, this salvation event, it becomes the identity of God's people. They are known as the people of the Exodus. They're known as the people that God rescued through the waters. And for the next 1,300 years, the people of God look back on this as their defining event. This is who we are. This is who we are. We're the people who have been made free. And here's the second song. And you can read this song in Revelation 15. First song is Exodus 15. Second song, Revelation 15. The second song is a song that Jesus' apostle John writes down. A generation or so after Jesus' death and resurrection, John's still alive. He's the only apostle left. He's banished out on some island. And this is fascinating. He has this vision in which he sees people from all generations and all nations who have overcome all kinds of adversity, all kinds of persecution, including those who have been persecuted for following Jesus. And what what are all these people doing? They're singing. What are they singing? John says they're singing the song of Moses and of the Lamb. So they're singing the song of Moses. He's the one who led the Israelites into freedom out of slavery and death. And they're singing the song of the Lamb, which is a reference to Jesus, whom the apostle or the uh, John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, dies, buries, and then is, is, is raised again on Easter morning. So in heaven... Friends, what are they doing? They're singing a song. What is the song? It's the song of the Exodus and of the Easter. That's what they're singing. They're singing a song of freedom. They're singing a song of deliverance. They're singing about the defeat of death in all forms, not just the ultimate death, but death in all forms. They're singing about freedom. And the song of Moses and of the Lamb in Revelation 15, it goes like this. Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the nations. It's plural now. Who will not fear you, Lord, and bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy. All nations, not just Israel, all nations will come and worship before you for your righteous acts have been revealed. We see you now. We see that you have achieved victory over not just the ultimate death, but everything that led up to that, all the things that hindered and pulled us down. The song is about God delivering people from ultimate death, but not just that, from all of the problems and the pains that we fight against every single day of our life. The song of heaven is the story of God's deliverance through all the brokenness. All of the deaths, big and small. So here's the point, friends. Here's the point. Throughout the history of the people of God, the people of God have looked back on God's acts in the past in order to fuel their freedom in the present. They say God has 
Past tense, set us free. Therefore, we are, present tense, free indeed. And throughout the history of the people of God, the people of God have also looked forward with hope and in faith that all things will one day be restored. There will be an ultimate salvation of all things. And as we've looked forward to this future restoration, this future freedom, We've sung songs about God will, future tense, set us free. And those songs have fueled freedom here. Therefore, we are, present tense, free indeed, here and now. Friends, you and I are surrounded by songs of deliverance. We're surrounded by testimony of triumph on all sides. Those with the ability to see what is still sort of foggy for us are declaring that we have been freed from death and all of its minions. And this freedom is not just for Israel and it's not just for us. It's for all nations. It's not just for those in the ancient past or the distant future. The point is this. Easter's for right now. Easter is for this afternoon. This is where it makes a difference. This is where it completely alters reality. Or it doesn't because it is denied or ignored but it's pulsing with an invitation to embrace it here and now, where it matters, right, for many. This has been a year of disappointment and frustration. Friends, Placer County, we're like slowly emerging, aren't we? We're like crawling out of the hole here. Uh, there's been this year of restriction, this year of cancellation, this year of oppression and isolation, division of all kinds. Today is the day of the resurrection. Okay. Today is the day of resurrection. Today we celebrate that death has been defeated. And not just death, the main bad guy, physical death, but all of the lesser deaths that come along with him. Death rose again so that you could be free from slavery to disappointment. Yes, I'm talking to you. I want you to hear this. You can be free from disappointment. Death, or Jesus rose again so you can be free from slavery to addiction. Jesus defeated death. He is more powerful than despair. Because Jesus defeated death, he's more powerful than relational conflict. He's more powerful than that. Whatever is dragging you down, whatever is robbing you of your joy, whatever is filling you with fear, whatever it is, it is no match for the power that raised Jesus from the dead. What is discouraging your children? What is robbing your hope this morning? What is damaging your marriage? Do you believe that the power that raised Jesus out of the grave is more powerful than that? You're invited to. That's what the testimony of the ages is declaring to us. That there is no power that can go toe-to-toe with the power that raised Christ from the dead. That is the ultimate superior power that is in existence. In the coming weeks, we're going to press into the how-to part of experiencing freedom in Christ today. So I hope you'll be a part of that because this needs to be fleshed out. And we'll do that. But today I hope that you'll be inspired by the Spirit of God to believe and to take hold by faith of this truth. Death and all of its furies, death in all of its forms, has been defeated by a superior power. It's the power of the resurrection. So that you may experience freedom from death. And not just in the future, but right here and right now, today.
Let's pause and pray together. I'm just going to take a minute, but I do want to ask you to try to apply this personally. Here's the question. What, what is the one thing that threatens to control you? What is the one thing that it's just got your number? Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's resentment. Maybe it's guilt. What is the one thing from which you need freedom? You need freedom from this. Do you believe that the power that raised Jesus from the dead is a greater power than that thing that holds you down? And if you're not sure, here's your prayer. This is what Moses prays when he can't believe it. He prays, God, show me your glory. Show me your power. Lover of my soul, you who desire only wholeness for me, you did not make me to live in the grave. Set me free. Help me to awaken to the power that rose you from the grave. May it have a practical impact and effect in my life today. Name that thing. Call him out of the dark. And then take hold by faith of the power of the resurrection and say, God, you, please, you part these waters. You raise me up. I need power that is way beyond my ability to have any shot at victory over this. God, bless your people. Fill us with hope. Not a vain hope, a rock-solid hope. We thank you for the resurrection. We are entirely dependent on you and your power to breathe new life into us again. celebrate your victory today, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.